All right, let's pray. God, thank you so much for this day. I thank you for these people, um, Lord, man, honoring you, no matter where they are in their life. God, there are people in the room that aren't believers, but they, they honor you by taking a step um, to hear you. And I just pray, Lord, that um, you would help them to <clears throat> uh, get out of this what you would want us to get out of this and want them to get out of this. God, I pray for the hard-hearted. I pray for the hurting, the broken. And God, um, and you know my heart, uh, <laughs> good and the bad. And I just pray today um, that, that more of the good would show than the bad and help me to, uh, man, preach your word. I know I'm not worthy of that, but help me to preach it, God. I wouldn't get in the way, and I will give you all the glory, Lord. In Jesus Christ, let me pray. Amen. If it is your first time or your first time in a while, we are in the midst of a pretty long series called Culture Wars. And you know, it's funny. What I thought this was going to mean has ended up meaning uh, having multiple layers. So typically, or originally, I, I should say, I thought it was going to be sort of the Christian stand against the world's culture, which, which is true. Right? We've talked about that. <clears throat> Did enough offending for them, too. And then, but it's also turned into um, about <clears throat> you know, the, the, the culture war we sort of have within the church. And because there is one. And sort of where, where is God's culture in that? And sometimes, like God's people have always done, we can be influenced by the outside culture right, of the world. But also, we tend to do this weird thing where we create our own little religious subculture. And if we're not careful, that can lead us to a whole different place, too. And that's what we've been talking about. So we're going to dive in today. I've got a lot to go through. Um, so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 8. <clears throat> and we're going to start at verse 2, 2 through 11, if you're using your phone. Hey, Jeff's here. I was wondering who that handsome. Hey, buddy. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, when you got it, say I got it. Great. It will be up on the screen <laughs> for you lazy folks. Uh, there is a lot of, of scripture today, um, short parts. And the reason I say that is I know some of you may struggle to, to keep up. I would suggest, because we got a lot to go through, just take a note of that section and come back to it, and just you can read up here, okay? This is a pretty famous section. I think I, I want to talk about it a little bit. It's the adulterous woman. We've talked about it many times. A couple things I want to to tell you right off the bat, sort of historically, academically, scholarly. In some of your Bibles, any of your Bible, anyone using a real Bible right now to look at that section? Does anyone have brackets around that part? Raise your hand if you do. Yep. So why, there are brackets around that part because some of the early manuscripts don't have this section in the Bible. Okay? Um, now, the King James Bible, those of you King James enthusiasts, it had it in because the, the uh, manuscripts that they had, the earliest manuscripts, did have it in it. So, there are people that will be like, hey, we don't know if this belongs in here. Here's where I land on this. God is sovereign, right? And God includes what God includes regardless of who the author is. And when it's accepted over time, right, and it's been established by Christendom, um, then I think we can trust it. And it certainly fits the wisdom and uh, character of Jesus, Okay, and I only tell you that in case someone ever messes with your head or you're wondering why there's, there's brackets around that, okay? So this is in the midst of Jesus' uh, public ministry. In fact, in the Gospel of John, this is kind of the beginning to the end of his public ministry. We, we talked about this a few weeks ago where John chapter 12, 14, 13, 14, 15, 16, 
He's kind of done talking to the public by then. He's talking to his disciples. He's praying for them because the crucifixion is coming. So right here, he's, you're going to see Jesus is starting to really ruffle feathers. Remember, at the beginning of his ministry, he's like, don't tell anyone. Right? Don't tell, it's not my time yet. But by this time, he's up. He's in their face. And he's challenging the religious elite too. So he's teaching in the temple. And uh, if you go the section before this, chapter 7, he's arguing with the Pharisees. Um, the Sadducees, the religious elite, right? And they don't like him because he's challenging their authority. And he's, he's challenging what they know, right? What they think they know. So <clears throat> he had a big argument. And we're starting here in, uh, at um, verse 2. At dawn, he, who's he in the Gospels? It's probably Jesus. He went to the temple again, and all the people were coming to him. Right there is another reason. Anytime, religious people get intimidated, right, when the crowd goes somewhere else. They don't like that. They want to be the center, right? And that happens today, too. A lot of times you'll, you can see religious leaders, when they start to get upset, when it becomes more about their teaching than Jesus, there's a problem. Uh, he sat down and began to teach them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. I have to always bring this up because all of you, you have understanding, many of you, and you'll be like, I, I, I have, man, grace towards her, unless it was your husband caught with her. Caught in the act. So they drag her out, probably half naked. They bring her into the street. <clears throat> making, and do you, was anyone hurt? Did she hurt anyone? Yes, she did. There's people hurt. If it's adultery, someone's married. Do you think that, that guy's wife or, or husband, the husbands and wives involved, are hurt by this? Are they embarrassed? Yes. And sometimes we want to whitewash these stories and make them cleaner because it's easier for us to be like, oh, I feel for her, versus... Put this now, okay? It's your husband and her caught. And I say that because it, it needs to shock us because this is as shocking as it would be. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery and making her stand in the center. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They asked this to trap him in, trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. So you may go, well, how is this going to trap him? Well, it's a, it's a good trap. If he says no, we shouldn't, he's going against the law of Moses, and it's blasphemy, right? And he's not a good teacher, and in front of all the people, at least they're going to go, hey, this guy's not a reliable teacher. If he says stone her, he's actually usurping the authority of the Roman authorities, right? He's saying, yeah, because they're the, the judge and government. Now what? Now they can accuse him in front of the Romans, too. He's trapped. Uh-oh. It's a good trap, right? Can we agree? Catch 22. No? Guys, listen, let me tell you something. You see this? <laughs> I was given this by Peyton. If you fall asleep, you're not paying attention. I, you know, I've said a long time, this, I don't know how long I get to come up here and preach. If you don't think I'll shoot a person with this, right? <laughs> it's loaded right now. No, it's not, okay? So let's not do the thing today where i got to threaten a podium. Until we get the podium to throw that Fred's going to make, I, I'll, okay, I want to see. It's just ready to roll. <laughs> All right, pay attention. Let's go. <clears throat> This is good stuff. So Jesus, so he asked this to trap in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. Everyone's going, what was he writing? Don't let that distract you. We don't know. We don't know. People have guesses, but let me tell you something. It's a complete guess. We have no idea to know what he was writing. And honestly, it's kind of irrelevant. It'd be cool to know, but it's irrelevant. And Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they persisted in questioning him, so you got to imagine this. Like, what do we do? And he didn't say a word. He's such a, man, he's just a G, right? He gets down. He starts drawing, what it writing. <clears throat> when they persisted, yeah, thank you for telling them that, what that meant. 
Andy's like, that means gangster. For you guys who don't know, when they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down again and continued riding on the ground. Did he say, I want to stop, did he say that she was innocent? Did he say that it wasn't a sin? Did he say that it wasn't worthy of death? Didn't address it. Okay, something to keep in mind. Then he stooped down again and continued riding on the ground. When they heard that, that's another thing. He says one thing. They're like, tell us. Let the one without sin cast the first stone. Right? When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. We should be wise enough. Boy, there's so much stuff here. You could do like 15 sermons in here, right? Why did the older ones leave? Probably wise enough to go, oh boy, I recognize what's happening here. Only he was left with the woman in the center. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. Be interesting in this story. Let me adjust it and tell you how it would change, right? The very end. Just the last line he says to her. If he said, neither do I condemn you, said Jesus, go have a good life. Changes the message slightly, right? If he says, no one, Lord, and he said, Go and sin, do not sin, changes the message. You get what I'm saying? Do you get it, or do I need to explain it more? If I take away him saying, I do not condemn you, and he, he had just said, go and sin no more, the way you read that and the message he's giving is different, yeah? I told you I'll shoot people with this not real gun, not a real gun, right? <clears throat> and if he had just said, uh, neither do I condemn you, there's no, there's no, there's no, um, Facing that sin, right? There's no, there's, he doesn't talk about the sin. It would be ignoring it. He doesn't do either. He says, neither do I condemn you, but he addresses the sin. And he and, and makes sure to tell her, don't sin anymore. Did he say, and, and we minimize sin sometimes, that word because it becomes Christianese. We get it, right? We're used to it. You are spoiled by the fact you were saved through God's grace. That sin doesn't carry the same weight. Praise Jesus. Sometimes we'll get to that. But that word, when he says sin, she knew what that meant. Death. Don't go and seek death anymore. I told the guys, um, yeah, well, Timbo's in here. Yeah, he's in the back. Tim and I talk, I don't know, we, talk, we used to talk a lot. We're talking more lately. And I told the guys, some of the guys out there right before, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to bring this story up. And the reason I hesitate, Tim knows what I'm talking about, because there's so much in it. And as we were talking, we are like, we should do a Real Talk episode. Someday that'll come back because there's so much in here. And I found myself wanting to be smart because if someone sound bites this, they can take all of it very wrong. But I think you're smart, and I hope I'm not really preaching to the people and the camera. I'm talking to you. So I'm hoping that you stick around and understand. So this week, Tim sent me the story. Actually, um, there are a lot of organizations a lot of nonprofits, a lot of media, social in the age of social media. And they like to call themselves discernment ministries. And now what, it is, what, what they mean by that is they go around and they call out all of the ministry leaders that sin and fail. And they put it on for everyone to see. That's their job. They put people on blast. Now, before everyone goes, that's terrible. Yeah, it's terrible, but, but right? do you think that or do you like to know? You like to know the stories. They, they exist for a reason. Right? There's good money in it too. I'm not even saying at the moment that's wrong. That's that's kind of irrelevant for me right now. That's a whole different topic. 
Because the, I guess I'll give you a little. You know, the idea of someone outside of a church watchdogging someone else in another church when God has given us and has entrusted right, the, the, uh, <clears throat> the protection of the local church to the local leaders, the elders in that church. There's something to that, right? <clears throat> but these, they exist, and, and God uses everything, so he can use it. Anyway, there's an organization, and when the story first came out, we share stuff like this. It essentially said, Baptist pastor um, found leading a double life, dressing up as a woman, transgender, um, pro- posting erotica, uh, literally dressing as a woman. And it's pretty surreal, because if you saw this guy, he looks like a good Baptist preacher. He does. And then you see, they don't show the worst of the pictures, which is good, but they're pretty, I wouldn't have even known it's the same guy. It's, it's, it's gross. It's gross. It is gross. It makes you feel weird. And it's sinful, what the things he was doing. It's lust-filled, regardless of the nature of it. The woman part, it, it's sin. Like him dressing as a woman is just a part of it. It's sinful regardless, right? If he was just being a man, posting this erotic stuff, talking about lust, all these things, it would be wrong particularly for a leader of a church. So regardless, let's, let's all, I, I have no issue with that. It is sinful. So they put it on blast, whatever. I started, um, Tim, we kind of talked about it a little bit via text, and then later in the week, he sent me another message, and he said, it's really sad. And it said, same organization put out a story that said, this pastor, I'm not going to say his name right now, I don't, I don't want to, he has a family, okay, uh, committed suicide this week. Now, there's a lot here. There's a lot here. His response to the sin when he talked to his congregation, I listened to it. I heard it. It's weird. You know, it wasn't, there was some, I don't know if there was real ownership of the sin. So I guess I need to say that. I don't know if there was genuine repentance, and I do need to say that, okay? Um, but, but to me, the nature of his specific story is irrelevant to me. Because I want to talk for a second of what if. What if it's possible, what if he was repentant? A different story. Let's say a different story, a different person. Let's, let's make one up. And he gets caught. Now, before, there, there seems to be a differentiation in the church today between the difference of someone confessing sin and getting caught in sin. We differentiate between the two. And I'm going to tell you why we do that. We do that because the legal system differentiates. Right? Am I right? He's an attorney. Anyway, right, they differentiate, right? You tend to get, hey, if I go make a plea deal, part of the plea deal is I'm going to admit what I did. You're going to go easy on me. And so because of that, we go, hey, you know, this guy admitted what he did. It's a little bit better than not. And so we sort of judge the church and people the same way. But Matthew 18, when Jesus discusses how to address sin within the church, he says, if your brother is caught in wrongdoing, go to him, confront him, right? If your brother repents... You have won your brother. That's interesting. I'm going to say it again. That's not even my point either. You're probably not even going to guess my point because you know me. I'm all over the place. But I think that's interesting. And I'm saying that to you now because to make this point, it's important for you to understand that. And now we can bring it back to you. Are there sins that you have not confessed to humans? The answer is yes. There's things you've looked at. There's things you've thought about. There's things that... You've done that no one's ever known, and you don't want to ever tell anyone. And I'm not, I'm not comparing. Like, in our world, there, there are levels of sin, and even in Scripture, right? Like, there's sins, like, 
God doesn't, ah, I got Cecil and me, it's such a huge thing. I got to slow down because I want to, I'll end up preaching for two hours and then, you know, people are going to lie and say I was here till three. <clears throat> My point is, let's say that someone gets caught in sin. Let me ask you a question. Same story. A pastor gets, oh, I, I guess I should explain how he got caught. He, was, he had a completely separate social media account dressed as this woman posting all these things. Okay? So he got caught that way. This somehow, who knows? <clears throat> now let's say in this story that, let's pretend for a minute. Is it possible that a believer could do that? Now everybody says yes. Everybody says yes. And, and I... I I think it has to be, right? Maybe. And I don't know anyone's heart. But I think that there ha is it possible? We'd have to say it's possible. So he gets caught. He's truly repentant. He's, you know, the idea of falling into sin or walking into sin. Sometimes you do things. Anyone ever, I don't even going to make you raise your hand. You've been in a situation, and you didn't really want it, and you wonder, how did I get here? And it's not always something like adultery. Sometimes it's the nature of your marriage. You know, you've been so hateful to your wife, and you look around, you have those moments when you're driving to work, and you're like, man, how did I get to a point where I am so hateful to my wife, right? It's like the little steps, right, that slow fade that gets you there, and you feel trapped in it, right, and you don't know how to get out of it. There's other things, too. <clears throat> Let's say this person repents, and it's, it's acceptable. Does it, the story's already been published publicly, right? And everyone in the room says, oh, I believe it's possible. What if it's your pastor? What if it's your friend? What if it's your, and it's a pastor's a different thing because, listen, that's another thing. We need to separate the office of pastor from the identity of Christian. You understand what I'm saying? They're different. <clears throat> a pastor is a Christian, but not every Christian is a pastor. We understand, right? And elders are a leader of a church, and they're held to a higher standard. <clears throat> I want you to keep that in mind. It's gross. When I watch the stuff, and, I, and, and my tendency is to be like, well, people make mistakes, you know. But I read the stuff, man, and his response, and it was gross. It was gross. But, you know, when I think about my own life, and I think about some of the things I've done, and if it was put out there for everyone to see, it was pretty gross. It was pretty gross, right? If I took your worst moment and I put it right now on the TV, I had magic powers, how would you feel? I saw people's eyes get wide, right? <clears throat> We've created, and I've talked about this before, but we're going to go into it a little bit more. Guys, listen to me. Sin is serious. Sin is serious. It's serious enough that God had to invade our earth and die for it so that we could live, right? It is the thing that is separated from us from our creator. It is the thing that's infected this world and creates the wars and the viruses and all the terrible things we see, the insecurities and disease. It is a terrible, terrible thing with terrible, terrible consequences. It is not to be minimized. <clears throat> and any sort of gospel that... <clears throat> doesn't have the recognition of the seriousness of sin is a false gospel. Amen, yeah. But a gospel without the power of the cross and the freedom it brings and the reach of God's grace is also a false gospel. Do you hear me? Now, every Christian, it's what makes me so frustrated sometimes to preach because, like, I know you're good people. But every one of you is going to go, yes, but I know your day-to-day -day and weekly lives don't live that. All I got to do is throw this situation in your personal life. 
that doesn't mean that this guy's, that sin, you know, <laughs> we'll come back to it. So let's think about that. What does that mean? What do we do with the grossness of our sin? What do we do with, with what, what does it mean to offer forgiveness? How far does that really go? Everyone says it. You've been trained in the church to say the right thing, but do we understand what that means? These two extremes. I have been accused of both, me personally, right? I, you can Google anyone and they'll be called a false prophet, but I've been accused of like, he takes grace too far. Stupidest comment in the world, okay? But I've been accused of it, and some of you may be ones that do that. Oh my goodness, he takes grace too far. What does that mean? What does it mean? Then I've had other people to say I'm hateful, right? And that I don't preach grace and I'm condemning, blah, 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 blah right? Why? Because you're being forced, you're told in Christianity today, you are pretty much told to pick between two camps. A camp that preaches only the seriousness of sin with no hope of the gospel, with no hope of grace, or if there is, it's based on your religious acts. Or one that says, do whatever you want because God's freed you. So sin all you want. Let me tell you something. This isn't new. This has been around since the beginning of the church. And I'm going to say this to you. Everyone in here has erred on both sides. There's religious hypocrisy in this room. I have done it. I do it. And we've got to understand what we're saying, right? Our tagline is chosen by grace. That sounds awesome. But you've got to understand the reality of what that means. <clears throat> we'll come back to that. I want to, I want to paint a picture for you. And I, I have a lot of scripture. You want to know why? I'll tell you why, Tim. You'll say, I'm going to say your name. You might not get offended. I do this because then they got to argue with Scripture, right? That's essentially what we're going to do here. If you have your Bibles, actually, or just make a note, James. Probably didn't think I started James. It's different. Chapter 2, we're going to start at verse 10 through 13. Don't try to figure out what I'm gonna, where I'm going with this because you might get lost. All right, let's just take each verse as it comes. James chapter 2, starting at verse 10. Go ahead, guys. For whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is, is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery but you murder, you are a lawbreaker. Well, some of you are like, cool, I haven't killed anyone. Well, then you got to take what Jesus said because then he makes it even harder. He said if you ever hated your brother, you've already killed him. You've committed, you've committed murder. Well, I've never committed adultery. If you look at a woman with lust in your heart... You've already committed adultery with her. And before you go, no, I didn't, what does that mean? Because the only thing stopping you is opportunity. Right? So I just want to say that. So some of you, right? But, and if you've done that, if you've looked at a woman with lust, what James is saying is here is you've broke the entire law. It's not, a, it's not a school system grading, right? If I get a C, I pass. If you're going to base your life on the law, it's 100% or zero. Verse 12, <clears throat> speak, <clears throat> for, yeah, speak and act as though who are to be judged by the law of freedom. Boy, man, I could just, this all be a sermon, I got to move. Speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Come on now, you hear that? You think, you think he's kidding? 
For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. How is that possible? Did you know that? Do you know (laughs) that God says mercy is more important than judgment? Do you want to know for you? Do you want to know why? Because there's only one judge. There's only one person worthy to be the judge. All right, so what do we get from that? Well, we've pretty much taken from this whole section that if you've done one thing wrong, let's simplify it, you're a terrible human being compared to God. You are a sinner, a lawbreaker. You deserve to be on that ground with a stone ready to be thrown at you. Agree or no? Yeah, move on. All right, let's go to Romans chapter 3, starting at verse 21 to 23. But now, it'll be on the screen, apart from the law... Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed. That's interesting. So what does that mean? Separate from our ability, separate from the law, separate from our good acts, separate from our bad acts, right? Law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, and it's been separated from our ability to keep the list of right and wrong. I'm making it simple for you, okay? It's been separated somehow. Why? The righteousness of God has been revealed not from the law, Attested by the law and prophets, the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What does that mean? Okay. There is a righteousness apart. It's been separated by religious acts. It's been separated from religious acts in and of themselves, right? The law is not bad. We, I should tell you that. The law is good. Tells us the standard of God, but our righteousness has been separated from that. And what? What has it been attached to? Jesus Christ. Is he who he said he was? Why is that important? Because we already just established if you've broken one law, you have broken them all. I don't know how to get you to understand that. Some of you are the religious hypocrites in the room, and you need to understand this. But for the grace of God, you're no better than the person you look in judgment on. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is important too, though. Every single person that has ever lived and lives today has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. (laughs) Classic Paul, man. Here it is, right? God, too. Here's the bad news. All sin and fallen short of the glory of God. Here's the good news. They who what? Believers, they're justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Right? You are sin and fall short of the glory of God, but, there's a but here, you are justified. Justified is a legal term. You are called innocent by your faith in him because of him. I'm losing the kids. You want me to throw a podium? Hey, you and you. I'm going to... I'm either going to make Naana like me or hate me, but it's going to happen over the next months to come. All right. Eli already hates me, so it's fine. Uh, Romans 6.23. Let's move on. For the wages of sin is death. Okay. Well, here's the news. Did you guys sin? Well, you've broken one of the laws, so you've sinned. Right? Let's fall for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. You've done that. So guess what you have deserved? What you've earned? Wages. You've earned it, death. Based on your actions, Mr. and Mrs. Religious, person that wants to leave right now because you're already mad, based on your actions, you have earned death. 
I love it. I just, that's okay. I'll make you mad. I don't care. You're mad at God. You're not mad at me. The wages of sin is death. You've earned that. What do you mean? My 20 years of being a good Christian and tithing and being a deacon and an elder and all these things and all oh, beautiful thing and I haven't done this and I haven't done that. That is, God, God is, that's the beautiful thing about the gospel. You will be rewarded for the good that you do, but your punishment is all dependent on one thing, Christ. Right? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's that but again, that beautiful but. <laughs> unintentional, unintentional. That's why I'm a terrible pastor. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right? So what do we know here? The wage of sin is death, but God gives us a gift. And what is the gift? It's eternal life. But how do we get it? It has to come one and one way only. Through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. All right? Well, let's keep going. There's going to be some things that don't make sense. We'll connect them. Hebrews 8, 12. Man, I went to the Hebrews after Romans. This don't make sense. You got the Gentiles. For I will forgive their wrongdoing, and I will never again remember their sins. Guess who said that? God, yeah. God. God even talked about that in the Old Testament, that there will come a time when I'll establish a new covenant and I will no longer remember their sins because I will be imprinted on their heart. For I will forgive their wrongdoing. Listen to this. And I will never again remember their sins. Is he a doddering old fool? Is he senile? Does he just forget? See, that's what is a beautiful thing. I will never again. God does everything in power. He chooses. I choose to let this go forever. Okay, keep moving. Romans 6, 1 and 2. What should we say then? Here's the part that some of y'all need to hear. I got to get you grace, folks. Should we, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who die to sin live in it? How can you continue to live in sin, right, when you are dead to it? You can't. It's a fish out of water. That's a better analogy for some of you, right? Right? You cannot live on land when you are a fish. You might flop around for a while, but you're eventually going to die. That's what some of you do. Some of you are flopping around on land and wondering why life's so hard, why you're so lonely, why you're so broken, why you're so miserable, as though the wages of sin stops being death just because you're saved. <laughs> death of what? You have eternal life, and you are literally choosing to settle for a half-dead life on this earth. Because you'd rather have a computer turned on at midnight than the holiness of God. Because why? Give it to me now. Give it to me right now. I gotta start looking at this side more. I, I lean this way, I don't know why. Maybe they're grumpier over here. Dave. I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's what you get. That Facebook post, I'm coming at you the next few. All right. <clears throat> Call me an old athlete. Anyway, <laughs> how can we, right? <clears throat> Got so caught up in getting Dave, I lost my spot here. Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Now, we're going to move on. Let's explain this a little more, all right? Romans 6, same chapter. It's a powerful chapter, and I would... 
we went through the Romans Bible study. One of these days I need to do a sermon series. The reason we did a Bible study, there's a lot in Romans to understand. Next time, sign up for it. We get to go really in depth for this stuff, right? Don't just count on sermons to be the place you learn all truth. I get about 30 minutes, an hour by that time I'm losing you, right, to make a point. It's not to teach you every single deep thing, theology of the Bible. I don't have time for that, right? I do. You don't. <clears throat> so, all right, Matt, Matthew, what in the world? Got ahead of myself. Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 12 through 16 if you're on your phones. Therefore, right, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin. This is so beautiful. I actually like the ESV, some of the, even the King James for this. For sin will not rule over you. Sin will not have dominion over you. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law but under grace. That's so powerful. Well, oh, oh, I got to keep going. What then? Should we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Absolutely not. Don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that one you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? Once again, man, we, we act like there's a, the, the, the gospel's mysterious in how it all works, right? We're going to talk about that in a minute, but it's pretty, pretty clear cut here. There's two options. Every day, every moment, there's two options in our choices. We are choosing to obey sin and go down a path that leads to death, or we are obeying and going closer to righteousness. That's it. There's no middle ground. Some of you are like, you know what? I'm pretty solid here at a 70% holiness, right, in your actions. We're going to talk about that. For sin, I want to go back to verse 14. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law but under grace. How did sin have power over you when you were were under the law? Because you were guilty all the time. If sin, like the enemy loved, loves religious people. Because they constantly are signing their own death warrant. No matter how good they think they are. I love it. You think he doesn't want you to go to church? Oh, in America, well, make no mistake. The end, like, why does the world not really bother the church that much? We're not a threat. Go to church. Follow the rules. Go every other week. Give a little, give 4% of your offering. Serve when you want to, where you want to. Absolutely listen to Christian music. Do it all. Be religious. Be a deacon. Be an elder. Be a pastor. But certainly. As long as you're not following Jesus, follow your church, follow your religion. Be good enough on your own. Let them applaud you. He wants that. Why? Because you've put yourself under his power. Because if you've given him the power to validate you through your religious acts, guess what the big secret is? You've given him the death warrant too. Because do you understand? That's deep. Some of you all are probably lost. Do you get it? If you're basing your holiness, right, as a person in this room that claims you're Christian, and your faith is based really not on Jesus and what he did, but it's based on your faith in yourself and how good you are compared to Todd, oh, great, the world might applaud you. It's easy to be better than me. Unfortunately for you, the standard is Jesus, so he will applaud you every day. Keep being better than Todd. That's awesome. The world's going to give you a cookie. 
and I'll give you hell. I'll take you with me. It's important to understand what it means by that. And that's why he says right in verse 16, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one you obey. You think you're choosing this stuff? You think you're dancing in fire and then hopping out? You think you're turning that computer on and everything's great at the end? You think, why are you ashamed then? Why are you afraid to walk in and think everybody can see your sin? Why can't you have real intimacy with people? Because you've given yourself over as a slave to something that doesn't want your good. But let's unwrap that. That's a whole sermon. I told you I'd be careful. What, am I, what, 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 what is important to understand in the context of this? Well, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, right? Do not offer yourselves um, as weapons of unrighteousness. Do not uh, make yourselves obedient slaves to sin. What's the implication there? If he tells you not to do something, what does that mean? You have a choice. This is, you ready? Christians. That's the crazy thing. I like the picture of a jail cell. Christ freed us, right? We were a prisoner. We were guilty. We were the worst of the worst. We're a felon. Jesus comes. He not only unlocks the door, takes the shackles off us, opens the prison door, takes away our felon status, and makes us a son or daughter of the king, his co-heir. You are with me, right? And But we still have a choice, and he says, come. Come out into everything I have for you. We can either walk out or we can stay in the prison. It doesn't change our identity. Your identity is still that, but you're just an heir that's living in a, in a prison. And see, some of you, you do that because you'd rather be in what's familiar than be in what's good. And some of you have got really big fancy jail cells. And Jesus has this crazy habit of wanting you to leave the comfortable things. So, like, why would I want to leave my cushy mansion prison to follow this, this guy that's going to want me to give some of it away? We have a choice. Christians, right? The implication here is, can Christians sin? Yes or no? Can a Christian sin? This is not complicated. You know yourself. Can a Christian sin? Yes. If a Christian can sin, that means what? Were they forced to? This will blow your mind. You have an incredible power that the world doesn't have. I'm telling you, this will blow your mind, and it's scriptural. The world can't choose whether or not to sin. A non-Christian can't. What are you talking about? So, Todd, sometimes they do good. Sure, they do good because they're creatures of instinct. They do what makes them feel good and avoid what makes them feel bad. You have been given agape love, right? You've been given an ability to love people despite circumstances. You've been given joy. You've been given choice. What do you do with that? You can choose to sin, yes or no. So a Christian can choose to sin. You all would say yes. Can a Christian choose to commit adultery? Can a Christian, could a Christian choose to murder? Does that make murder or adultery not serious? No, nobody wants anyone to kill. I don't get, you know, if a Christian comes and kills my family, I'm not happy. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, they're a Christian, they just made a poor choice. No, there's consequences to sin. And that doesn't mean that God doesn't grieve and isn't angry at that sin. But you've got to separate the identity. It's important to know that. I'm painting a picture. I've got to keep moving. So we, we've established that we're all sinners. We've established that our salvation as Christians comes through Christ and Christ alone. And we're, we now agree, apparently, that even after being a Christian, we have the choice of whether or not to follow Christ or to follow our sinful passions, follow the enemy, 
obey sin, yeah? All right. So, we, so what happens when a Christian sins? Rome, Matthew 18, 15. I already told you, but it's important for you to see it because you won't believe me. All right, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. No, any John MacArthur fans in here? Raise your hand. Okay. Any John MacArthur enemies? He has them. Anyway, yeah, those of you, I, I say that because he's pretty respected, right, theologically. Um, and he is, he's faithfully served, right, for, I don't know, 60 years. I don't even know how long it's been. And he said, right, and I've said this before, it's crazy to me. He said he can count on one hand how many churches he's met over the years that follow God's design for how to handle sin within the church, which means Matthew 18 here, okay? But I'm only doing one part, because this is the main point. If your brother, this is Jesus, if your brother, sisters too, sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. Sometimes that'll be translated if you catch your brother in wrongdoing, those kinds of things. Go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, if you want your brother. That seems, okay, you've sinned against me, right? You've sinned. You've been caught in wrongdoing. I come to you. I tell you sinned. You repent. Repent means turn the other way. It's not just I'm sorry. Some of you think you're owed that. If I say I'm sorry, I got to just walk away. No. Repentance means real a genuine understanding of your sin. It, it doesn't make excuses, and it wants to change. If they do that, it's over. You've won your brother. Same chapter, I love this. I never really put this together after all these years. Same chapter. So it means Matthew's probably asking the same thing some of you are. Matthew, go down to verse 21. I mean, not Matthew, I'm sorry, Peter. 21, 22. Then Peter approached him. I feel like the figure he kind of comes up to him after the crowd's clapping. He's like, hey, man, I got to ask you a question. Peter approached him and said, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? And he's probably like, because I'm willing to do seven. I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. I've said this before. Some of you all got that tally mark, don't you? <sighs> Luckily, I'm at 215. I don't know what even. I, I, I only have a few more to go. The point is, there's not an end to it. So before I go on, let's think this through rationally, not even just in a um, church discipline way. If it's 70 times 7 that he must forgive his brother, what is the implication and possibility about the life of a Christian? They could sin a lot. Now, the implication here, by the way, is not different sins. Some of us are like, oh, yeah, I can forgive you for stomping on my toe and then forgive you for yelling at me. No, I'm saying it, I always view it as like someone poking you right in that forehead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Right? If you're me, after I probably like four times. The fifth time, I'm like, don't, don't poke me again. Right? And then I'm punching. You get what I mean? That's how my mind works. And that's it. It's the same thing. And he's making a point here. Is it possible someone could struggle with the same sin and want to be out of it? Sure. And this is complicated because you're going, well, Todd, how do we know? We don't. We're going to know by their response to the sin. You get what I'm saying? You could have two people, alcoholic, trying to quit. Let's just say that. Let's not even view it. It's just two alcoholics. After the first week, they both come to you in a, in a, and, and say, I messed up. I drank again. Second week, they both come to you and drink again. One is truly pursuing it, right? And maybe it's happening, I don't know, like he, he, his family comes over and they put it in his face or, you know, those little things we do. We got a toast at a wedding and he's like, I could take a little sip. And the other guy's just every day, he's got a pack of beer, right, in his, in his fridge. And he's like, well, I'm fighting it. 
You see the difference? But on the outside, to us, it looks the same. Well, how do we know? Well, if both people are Christians, and this is the part some of you don't like and why you avoid church. Well, I'm going to know. I know Andy and I know Luke. I'm going to know. I can say this because we're in a group accountability. I'm going to know what happened. I'm going to know if he's got that beer in there, most likely, because we're in real community. I'm going to be like, dude, you aren't fighting. I'm open. There's a 24-pack right here. Do you understand what I'm saying? It all connects. i got to move on, man. So, staying in the context, your brother can sin. He could sin a lot. Ideally, we continue to forgive. Okay. Now, this is going to seem like, because I don't know, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 16 through 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 16 through 21. When you got it, say I got it. It's a long one. There we go. Good. It'll be on the screen. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. Kind of wordy, so we may stop. This is our biggest section. It'll be on the first one. From now on, then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Who is we? This is important. He's writing to, do you think he's writing to all of Corinth? He's writing to the church. What is the church made of? Christians. It is. Despite what you say, it's not this building, right? Okay. From now on, we, know, we don't know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, worldly perspective, yet now we, know, we no longer know him in this way. If we have known Christ, I'm sorry, from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him this way. It's interesting. You can know who Jesus is and not know who Jesus is. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see the new has come. What echoes of revelation there. Behold, the old things have passed away, and the new has come. You are the first fruits of creation. You understand that now? You are made new. And then it's so beautiful. At the end, he says, now I'm going to catch everything else up to you. I'm going to transform it all. Therefore, if anyone is Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ. He has reconciled, made right our relationship again. When we were separated by sin, he has made it right again through Jesus. And has given us the ministry, this is important, has given us, who's the us? Jacob, what do you think? Christians, yeah, you're right. I know you were thinking it, right? Us, Christians. You, I'm not going to make you raise your hand. Christian, you in the room. Me, I've only been a Christian for two weeks. Don't care, you've been given this ministry. Some of you are going, man, what, what's, what's ministry has God called me to? Here's one. The ministry of Reconciliation. Whoa, that's crazy. I thought that was Jesus. It is. Stay with me. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. He hasn't committed reconciliation to you. You aren't the one to reckon. This is so important. You are not the one to decide and reconcile people to God. You are the one that tells them who can do the reconciling. Make sense? That gets confusing. Everyone's like, that's simple. No, 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 it's not. Churches do this all the time. I am needed to reconcile you to Jesus. No. I mean to God, through Jesus, same person, but you get the point. No, you are to tell them about who can. Do you understand? We'll fit this together. Okay, so what does that mean? Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ from the kingdom. We go out to do what? To proclaim the message of reconciliation. Since God is making his appeal through us. How's the appeal sound by the way you approach this stuff? 
We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. In order to, be, to know you need to be reconciled, you have to know you're not reconciled, right? You're not in a good relationship with him. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Yeah, whoever you want, that's the way I feel. painted a whole picture here. I know there's a lot, and honestly, guys, I, I do prefer, like, if, you, if you're in Romans Bible study, for instance, my preference, and some of you all need to understand, and even other pastors need to know the difference between preaching and teaching, okay? I only have so much time, right? All of these deserve more time than I'm giving them, but I hope you see the road we're painting, right? We're showing. The ministry of reconciliation, that is your job. That is the job to the world. Everyone says that. Go preach the gospel. Listen to them, right? we got to tell the world to be reconciled to God, but we have this strange thing that happens. So can God save a murderer? Can God save an adulterer? Can God save, well, I don't. I could shock you big time. Uh, i got to be careful. I got canceled for this a couple years ago. I did, right? Can, can God save um, a drug dealer? Could God save a pedophile? Mm -hmm. Does does that mean the sin isn't serious? Does that mean you have to not hate the sin? Somebody touches my daughter, my temptation is going to be to touch them, but not the same. You get what I'm saying? That's reality. I'm being honest with you. But I can separate my humanness, right? But there's a difference even in that. And I've asked myself in this in my heart, when all that rage is gone, when I'm sitting there at night and, and that person even is on death row, what does my heart want for them? Do I want them to be, not, not be forgiven so they can continue to be the same, but my heart's desire should be for them to be transformed. So you all said yes. Now here's the big secret, guys. Here's the twist. Here's the thing that we don't understand and I need to ask you, right? <clears throat> Do you think, so God's, when you are not reconciled to God, when you are not in relationship with him, what does that make you? What does scripture call you? What? An enemy. Yes. You are an enemy of God. So listen to what we're saying as Christians. I mean culturally, not you. You guys are amazing people, right? Some of the rest of them are. Listen, we're saying that God's grace will cover those vile, vile people, those gross people, right? When they are enemies of him, that he will go to the cross for them, but that once we're saved, he stops. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, so he will forgive that, that sinner and that murderer when they hate him and they're not his, when they're his enemy, but once you're his child, he no longer has grace for you? He no longer desires to see you reconciled back to him. He no longer desires to see you restored. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, before you say, of course we do, how many times have you done this? How many times have you reveled in the condemnation of a Christian who's fallen? How many times have you devoured the stories of a pastor that's fallen? That's typically the one. It's not me defending my own sin. It's just those are the big ones, right? We don't put up, it's funny. We don't, we'll put up Pastor Joe's sin, but we don't put up Joe, the maintenance guy, right? That, that's, not good, that's not good media. 
I'm asking you to search your heart and start to think about in our church culture as a whole, what are we saying by the way we present the ministry of reconciliation? Is the ministry of reconciliation a one-time thing? Is it only when I'm a sinner? Well, I shouldn't be saved then because I need it all the time. Do you understand what I'm saying? And we, what we do is like, because we're humans, we want everything easy and clean. It's easy and clean to say to someone, they're bad, they were never one of us. That's easy. I get it. It's very nice. It would be good to be able to do that. Goat, not a sheep. Throw them out. Crazy thing is Jesus gives this analogy of the sheep and the goats, and he says, I will separate them. I will separate the sheep from the goats. Why? Because you're not always going to be able to tell. But that goes both ways. See, we're always afraid of um, miss, uh, we're, we're always afraid of being fooled that a sheep is a goat. But see, sometimes we don't realize that the goat we think is a goat is actually a sheep. He's, he's the one that wandered from the hundred. And we get caught up in this and we start to, we start to misrepresent our role in the story. In all the stories, we begin to, to, to step in the seat of Christ. We begin to sit in the seat of Christ and stand in his shoes and say, I am the one who splits the good from the bad. I am the one who says who is not a Christian and who is. And I will, right, we, my job is to find them and get them out of here. And you go to bed at night justifying by saying, oh, Lord, I'm protecting the flock. And if I shoot a few sheep along the way, that's worth it, right? Because at least I'm getting the wolves. Jesus doesn't say it that way. God doesn't see it that way. And I said at the beginning of this that this can be taken poorly. And some of you might be doing this and you're saying, well, Todd's saying do whatever you want. You're not listening. I'm going to go back to the beginning, to the story of the adulteress. When Jesus said, let he, and we do this. Some of you do this. You've used this as a shield to justify your sin. You're saying Jesus is okay with it because everybody else sins. That's not what he's doing. You take this story to be Jesus minimizing sin when the truth is he's maximizing it. He is not minimizing this woman's sin. He is not minimizing sin. He is saying, sin, you are all sinners. That doesn't make it less serious. It makes it more. She does deserve death, but so do you. And if you aren't willing to offer mercy, then I will not offer you mercy. In fact, I didn't, I didn't show this because it would have been too big of a section, but right after the part where Peter says, how many times must I forgive him? Jesus gives the terrifying parable of the unforgiving servant and tells the story of a man who was forgiven billions and he said, please, you know, he's going to take him and take away his life and throw him in prison forever in the darkest place to work and separate his family and sell his family and his animals and, you know, to get back. And he says, no, please forgive me. He goes, okay, I'll forgive you. And that guy walks out, finds his buddy who owed him $100, grabs him by the throat, throws him against the wall, slaps him and says, take this guy to jail. He owes me. And Jesus says that the master comes and grabs him and says, you unforgiving, right, you ungrateful servant. Why? Because he who has been forgiven much is willing to forgive much. It is not, I am not minimizing sin. I am telling you that sin is far more, far worse than you can imagine. 
And, it, and it's, it's always haunting us on this side of heaven. Jesus isn't minimizing sin to the Pharisees and the scribes when he tells them that he is without sin cast the first stone. He is maximizing it and he is highlighting not just her but all of our need for a savior. We like to create hierarchies of sin within the church because we can always find someone worse than us to make us feel better about our own sin. And I'm not saying you should be condemned because I'm like, oh, I guess I'm as bad as the, as the adulterer and all these things. No, that's the beauty. When you, like, He's so proud of the good you do and you aren't judged for the bad you do anymore, right? Because you've been saved by the cross and by what he did. But, but, you should always remember who you would be without him. Ask yourself today, church, because I can sit here and preach against all these other churches, but we go and do this. What are you, what are you enabling in church culture? What do you sit there and accept because you're too afraid? Every time you sit silent when you hear your great, your great Aunt Edna condemn these people and act like there's no hope, whenever you do those things, when you sit there and say nothing but speak up on the pastor's sins, you are giving a message to the world about what the ministry of reconciliation is. It is based on your actions, not his. That doesn't minimize sin. It's not... The issue here is not whether or not sin is bad. The issue is not here whether or not sin should be dealt with. God is very clear. There is not to be sin, right? Sinful actions running amok in his church, period. That's a fact. And anybody that's in this church, sometimes you would think, Todd, we don't care. We're just a wild west around here. No, it goes the other way. People get annoyed because we confront that stuff. We do. I don't like it, Right? But we don't confront it to condemn. We confront it to restore. We confront it to reconcile. Right? The issue here is not about whether sin is bad or good or all. It's of course, about the issue is our, our identity and the, and the way we view each other shouldn't be wrapped up in the nature of our sin, but in the nature of our Savior. That's the truth. And it's all connected because the way that, it makes me want to, I'm about to get emotional. Because the way that we, we treat each other is showing the ministry of reconciliation to the world. It creates this strange thing. Why would they want to be a part of this? Because they are fully aware, people of peace. That means people that aren't saved but are open to the gospel. They're fully aware of the, what they are. And they condemn themselves daily. Why would they want to come into a place where they're just going to be told to pretend to be good enough when they know they can't? It's not about, that doesn't mean we don't pursue holiness. It just, under, we understand that sanctification, the process of becoming more like Jesus, was accomplished by Christ and continues through Christ and by the Holy Spirit, not by my actions fully. Now, we can choose, remember we said that, whether to obediently follow that. But what does the Bible say? What did Jesus, what does God say he's going to do? I will what? Finish the good work I started in you. I would hate to condemn and cast out one of God's children and have to stand before the Father. Because if you were to condemn my daughter, no matter what she did and say she's not worthy or acceptable or it's possible her be forgiven or any mic, I, I, and I had the power to get you back, I would. I would. You were not 
please. And we've got to stand up against this. And standing up means that's the whole point of culture where speak. Stop being afraid because you're letting them speak for us. Because I do believe most of you in this room, probably most of you, probably most Christians, they, they believe this and they know it. True Christians, they have to. They know it in their heart, but they let these pharisaical true wolves, right, or lost. <laughs> There's, you, could be, you could be a believer that's gone down the pharisaical road too. We have to accept that. But either way, we're letting them speak for Jesus. And because the crowd's going that way, you're so scared of being standing with the adulteress, right, that you'll stand with the Pharisees even if you think it's wrong. And your silence is acceptance. A gospel without the recognition of sin and the seriousness of it is a false gospel. It is a false gospel. We talked about that early on in this series. Go listen to that if you want to be mad the other way. But a gospel without the power of the cross and the freedom it brings and the reach of God's grace is also a false gospel. Stop worrying about what if they're lying. Stop worrying about all of that. Follow what God tells us to do and how we're to respond to sin and trust the Holy Spirit. Do you understand? Now, everybody nods. What are you going to do today when you walk out of here on that Facebook post, on your old friends, on your old pastor, on uh, your husband? What are you going to do when they're reveling in the destruction of a believer. Well, well, they're not a real believer because they did this. Oh, But we've already established that if you've broken one of the laws, you broke them all. You know, I go back to the story of that guy. Again, let's make a, make a guy up that's similar. Even if a man's repentant of that kind of sin, there's consequences. You're always so afraid he's going to get away with no punishment. By the way, why do you even care? But there will be, right? One is the humiliation he's already faced publicly. Two is, I guarantee, his, his, there's embarrassment to his kids. There's personal relationships that are destroyed. There's, there is the uh, condemnation that comes from immature believers and false believers. That's all of that. He may lose his job, all of that stuff. That's natural consequences of sin. Why would you want to add to that? It's funny that it was after his death that that organization posted a tweet that said, hey, don't forget... There's nothing you've ever done that's outside of God's grace. Just repent and believe in Jesus. Where was that message the first time? It's like they're covering their butts sometimes. Ooh, I don't want to look like I contributed to that. Here's hope. Now hear me again. If you think I'm minimizing sin today, you weren't listening. Go back and listen again. Sin is serious. Sin is serious. It hurts people. It hurts you. But we've got to start looking at what kind of culture, and I mean this, friends. You're so busy, man, standing up against, I don't know, i got to be careful. Standing up against all the social issues that you're fired up about that God does care about. Amen. But let me tell you something. God's going to judge the world. You ain't going to change their mind. <laughs> you're not. But you know what you can change and influence? The body of Christ. That's the only people we have real influence on anyway, right? How do we, what are we creating here? And through that, what ministry of reconciliation are we preaching? Is it the true gospel or a false one? 
People always say, Todd, you don't like Christians. I, some of you in the room may have been that person. I love Christians. You know why? I'm one of them. I can't stand. It well, was it because you sinned? Yeah, part of it. Part of it's because I've sinned, man. And I'm gonna tell you something right now. In the midst of the worst sin I've committed in my life, and I don't, I don't, I don't care. I don't care if you believe me. I'm just saying it for some of you that need to hear this. I love Jesus Christ. But I took my eyes off of him and I didn't obey, and it led me down a dark path that hurt me and hurt other people. And there were consequences that I still pay to this day, but he is still good. And he is still gracious. And he still loves to restore. And the world still wants to tell me that my identity is what I've done, right, and not what he's done. That's why I stand here and preach. It's not for me because I do deserve it, right? I got to go in a room and sit there and tell myself every day, Lord, I'm, I'm the worst. I feel that way, right? Isn't that funny? I can believe it about you but struggle myself. Anyone ever feel that? But the truth is, right, you need to hear that. And I believe in the church, and I'll never stop pushing because we are the bride of Christ. We're the hope of the world. We are. We're the light in the dark place. We are the city on the hill. We are the ambassadors of the kingdom. It is through us that he has entrusted the glorious message of his reconciliation. We are the ones who have been given the key to eternal life, right? Meaning the message of where it's at. That's crazy. What do we do with that? You too. I get in trouble for talking to you kids. You want to be special or you want to be a part of the crowd? Because God will use you in a world that wants to say, hey, go follow the TikTok trend and go do this and that. You can be special, right? Or you can just be the same. She's going to come play some music. And I guess I, 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 if I have to leave you with this, I hope I've made this picture as clear as I can. And, and there's so much more I want to say, and I don't have time to say it. And it's, it's a heavy topic. And I guess I want you to hear me say, because i got to cover all my bases, because I speak for the church here. I don't think that what this guy did was okay. I think his response was poor, in case you go look it up. I'm not stamping my stamp of approval that this guy was even, um, I don't know. His response was poor. He made excuses, but my heart breaks about the what if, you know? Did, 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 does God celebrate that loss of that man's life? They're Christians, do You should read the comments on the stories. I don't think that God delights in that. Well, how do I know that? For God did not come into the world to condemn the world, right? But that the world might be safe through him, right? Jesus, the Messiah, doesn't come into the world that he might condemn the world. God wishes all would come to know him that none would perish. Do you believe that? Do you believe that that's true even for the gross people? You have to believe that. I mean, one of the stories I tell, <clears throat> I, get, I get emotional because I understand what it is to be, you know. When you're in a bad moment, you can look back on it. It's like, man, I, I made it through that. But when you're in the middle of it, it feels like it's the, you're the, it's the worst thing in the world, right? You know what I mean? When you've, I always tell people like, Tim and I were talking, you know, and he even asked me a question, and I was kind of sharing with him. <clears throat> like, in the midst of my testimony, I messed up a lot, but, but I, I was suicidal. It's so hard when the voices are loud. 
right? And they're so loud, and they tell you that, man, you are what you did. And that confuses you because you're going, what the heck? Like, I was never good, right? You know that. You know you were never good. I did. And if I could have cut my arm off to make it right, I would have. I remember saying that. I meant it. What do you want me to do? I'll do it. it. It wasn't enough for some of them. There comes a point, and I always say this, man, I, I, I cry because I wonder about the person that's not as bullheaded, stubborn as me. <laughs> Sometimes I think God used my sinful nature in a positive way, and he's like, I'm a fighter, right? I'm gonna, I ain't going to go down just because I'm not going to let you take me down. But there's people that aren't fighters. And they, and they hear that stuff, and they, they're told these identities, and maybe they're a new believer even, and they came excited. They don't know the word. You know, I had, I had, by the grace of God, knew the word of God enough to cling to certain anchor verses. There is no condemnation in Christ, right? There is no condemnation in Christ. I said, how do I not? I said it to myself a million times. There's people, there's believers in the world that the enemy picks off. There are believers who, who run, who take the, the easy way out. Some people say, oh, can you, can, you know, they do. And even if they weren't believers, we've taken away, you know, we've driven them to the point of where they've, they've taken away any opportunity to be saved, right? Because they felt like they had no other option. Is that what God wants? Is that what God wants? He'll save the murderer but condemn the Christian that fails? Does that sound like it makes sense? The ministry of reconciliation doesn't stop when we become saved. It goes on and on and on. Now hear me again. Sin is serious. And if you take from this message, it's not, you're a fool. I'm sorry you are. It's serious and it hurts people. And you should care and a believer will. But guys, that's my, I guess my point today is like, what are we saying we can, both can be true. We can confront sin. We can say we don't want it in our church, right? We can want, but do we do it because we want to restore or cast out? The ministry of reconciliation has been entrusted to us. What do we do with it? Are you an ambassador of the good news? Or are you a pharisaical ambassador? And if you don't understand me today, you know, I'm about to talk to some other people. If you're a Christian in the room and you don't understand what I'm saying, you don't grasp forgiveness, you don't grasp what I'm saying, I guess I would ask you today, are you saved? It's hard to be saved if you don't know what you are. If you were never aware of what you are, right? If you think, if you can't relate to this, then you, I don't, I'm worried about you. There are, there are Buddhists that are better than any Christian I've ever met. And without Christ, they're hopeless. Your good actions are like filthy rags compared to the goodness of God. You can't earn it. So I ask you again, are you an ambassador of God? Are you an ambassador of Jesus Christ and the gospel of the good news? Are you a minister of reconciliation? Are you a minister of condemnation? Now, I need to say this. Some of you have been, have been abused by this. So what that means is someone who claims to be a believer has sinned against you over and over and over, and they say if you're a real Christian, you've got to accept that. No, no, no. See, remember we talked about repentance? It's entirely possible to step away from a situation and say, I can't allow you to continue to do this. God doesn't want you to do this, right? 
We've talked about that on how to handle sin. So don't, don't get manipulated by the enemy to mean you got to sit in those situations. That's not what I mean, right? But what's your heart desire out of that? What do you wish would happen? Because people have choice. Are you a minister of reconciliation? If not, even as a believer in this room, if not, repent. You need to repent as much as the, the adulterer. You need to turn away from your pharisaical ways, and you need to be a bearer of the good news of Jesus Christ. Not just of the death that happened on the cross, but the life that happened three days later. If you're in the room and you don't know what the good news is and it doesn't sound good, I don't blame you if you just read the news and stuff. Here's the good news. We all are sinners. That's bad news. Well, Todd, what do you mean? That means, man, it's okay. You're in good company if you're a sinner and messed up, meaning we're all in the same boat. We've chosen to disobey God, to walk away from him. We do it every day, and because of that, it's infected this world. And because of that, right, we are a branch snapped off a tree. We are dying. Even if we're still blooming a little bit, we're dying. We don't know it. Sin is not just the actions you show, but it's, it's a disease that's in your body. That even That's why religion doesn't fix it. You can take all the medicine. You can fix, do all the things you need to do to stop it, but you can't stop that disease. You can't fix what's inside. And so God does something incredible. In fact, God even talked about people that did that. He called those religious people whitewashed tombs. He said, on the outside, you're all clean, but on the inside, you're full of dead bones. He called them dirty cups. You look good on the outside, but the inside's gross. You need to be clean from the inside out. There's only one person that can do that, Jesus Christ. God, it's crazy. We sinned against God, separated ourselves from us, couldn't make our way back, and so he did something crazy. He said, I'll bring you home. I'll do for you what you couldn't do even though you rejected me. And he invaded this earth. Jesus of Nazareth existed. It's a fact. He performed miracles to prove who he was. He told us what the kingdom of God is like. He told us what God was like. He told us what it was like to be, live in the kingdom. And then he did something incredible. He, he died on the cross and had your wages poured on him. The worst things you've done, the death that should have been you, the stone that you should have taken, he took on the cross all your sin. He yelled to the Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The only good man that's ever lived was treated as the worst of these for us. On the third day, he rose from the dead. Over 500 witnesses attest to this. Why? To prove he is who he said he was. Who is he? He is the Son of God. He offers you freedom. He offers you hope. He offers you new life. He offers you forgiveness of sin that doesn't stop today, but goes on forever. Well, how do you get that? You've got to turn from your ways. You've got to stop thinking you can save yourself. You've got to stop running from your mistakes. You've got to stop making excuses. You've got to believe he is who he said he was. Come to him and say, Lord, forgive me for my sin. I'm sorry. I believe you are who you are. I accept what you give me. I want to be changed. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, if you confess through your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and was raised from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. There's going to be people up here willing whether you are a religious fake who's made it this far or whether you're the farthest, baddest, worst person in your own mind, you have the opportunity today to be made holy, to have forgiveness, to be restored and reconciled to God. They're gonna not believe you sometimes. That's okay. He will never let go of you. His grace never ends. Jesus Christ said, I will never let go of one of these you've given me. Even when that big talking head on the news says he will, 
even when that pastor with the fancy suit says you're not, he doesn't have you anymore, even when your great aunt Edna says you've gone too far, Jesus says you can never go so far that I can't get you. Who's he talking to? You. And if you're in the room, like, today there's going to be people who are willing to pray with you. I was you. Come up here. Take the opportunity. Don't pretend you know how to do it. Just come up and, and, and say you want it. And I know and trust the people that are up here. You can trust them. If you're in the room and you need to repent of being a Pharisee, that you've condemned more than you've reconciled, repent. Come back. Change today and be different. Whatever you do, don't came, leave the same as you came in because if you do, you're choosing to.